You're listening to Video Monsters, a weekly podcast. Uh, well, uh, mostly weekly. Sometimes more, sometimes less. <sighs> All right, fine. A mostly weekly podcast of Creatures Talking Features with your hosts, Nathan Simmons and Eric Harris. Video Monsters is brought to you by the Chattanooga Film Festival and Central Cinema in Knoxville, Tennessee. Follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or online at chatfilmfest.org and centralcinema865.com. And links for each of these can also be found on our pages, so be sure to follow us at Video Monster Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Hello and welcome to the episode 345 of Video Monsters, where we take movies seriously. You goddamn fox! <laughs> <laughs> Still funny. <laughs> but we very clearly do not take ourselves seriously. I'm Nathan. Hark, I am Eric. Monkey pump! That was good. Yeah, that was a good. You actually went for an impression. I did not. I just. I can't. I can't do the Willem Dafoe. I had, so. I had to channel my Dafoe. <laughs> Listen, I've tried. I've really tried, guys, and I just can't do it. I. I. I it seems like it would be easy, you know, because he's doing just like a pirate voice, but very much Willem Dafoe doing a pirate voice, which is just. Sing- mm. It's a singular thing that cannot be imitated. <laughs> well, the rest of the episode, uh, Dan, I want you to do Willem Dafoe. And Eric, <laughs> I can't keep it up for more than two words. <laughs> and Eric, you're gonna have to do your boy Robert Pattinson. Oh, I could, I could, I, I can't do. He's doing like a. We we were talking about this before we recorded. Where he, I guess he's kind of doing like a New Hampshire accent, and I don't know if I can, if I could do it. He's doing an inconsistent accent. He's it's doing a little inconsistent, but I. It's yeah. Yeah, I think it is. When when he gets like really angry or animated, and that accent really comes out, it's like, oh, that's the character that he's being. Okay, cool. I'm I understand now. But when he's just kind of like talking low and kind of mumbly, it's like, uh, dude, where'd your accent go? There's almost a hesitancy to it. Was so tough to fucking maintain because it's not. Yeah, it doesn't lean too heavily into something that's easily mimicable. Yeah, you know, it's south or coastal Maine where it's very obvious that you're from that area. It's Yeah, and, and it's not like the stereotypical Boston. You know, like yeah. that that one I feel like is a little bit easier or like New York, but but yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh that, that that sort of uh upper eastern it's yeah. New England. I don't know what the touchstones are. Like, I feel like with an accent, you kind of have to have like the the Boston one is like the Pock the Cot, the Harvard Yard. Like when you do that, you're like, okay, mm-hmm. I got it. Like, but with the New Hampshire accent, I don't know what the what the kind of touchstones are to kind of unlock the how you would say certain words. Well, mm-hmm. think think of the South and how a New Orleans accent is very different from a Georgian accent, which is very uh-huh. different from a South Carolinian accent. To someone up north, they probably all sound the same. But like you mm-hmm. know how one of them has a little bit yeah. more of a drawl, and one of them has maybe like a little bit more uh, like like accent in the first part of the words, kind of thing. <laughs> that was good. So. <laughs> So yeah, I, I feel like up north it kind of does the same thing. Where the further yep. you get, the more it starts branching. So, based on based off of Robert Pattinson's accent, compared to the stereotypical <clears throat> Bostonian accent, I I suspect that New Hampshire is a little bit more like the uh, the New Orleans equivalent, where there's a little bit of a drawl, but not That's quite, but not quite so yeah. drawn out. You know. Yep. 
Like, like, like in Georgia, you got the real drawn out like, Southern accent. <laughs> okay, all right. So, so, so Dan, not we're talking be, about let's, let's no, Dan's gonna be Willem Dafoe. I'll be Robert Pattinson. Nathan, you can be Blanche Devereaux. I, I'll be Foghorn <laughs> Leghorn. <laughs> let's. I'll be the mermaid. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, that was that was uncanny, my friend. <laughs> Let's get back on track. You you friend have had your share of mermaid sex, haven't you? That sounded perfect. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, Let's man. steer this ship back towards the shore and get on track with our review of the lighthouse, as we very very sadly have to close out May twenty four. Guys, I'm really sad that we're at the end of this. But so I know, man. so happy with what I didn't we're even realize out. tomorrow was the last day of May until like today. Don't I was you like, mean the oh, last day of May? Yep, it's it's no longer May. Yeah, <laughs> the uh, to paraphrase that Justin Timberlake thing from Instinct, <laughs> it's not gonna be May. It's not gonna be May. <laughs> So we are. That sounded more Forrest Gump than Timberlake. <laughs> not gonna be Janae. Oh my god! Uh, closing out a twenty-four with our review <clears throat> of the lighthouse and holy shit, this movie. <sighs> yeah, yeah. This is oh my god, this movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That is the best way to describe it. Oh, my God, this movie. Uh, I don't have my list of the movies that we uh, did in the popcorn punch out, so I don't remember what all this one went up against and what it lost against. So I, we're, we're not going to be able to do that thing. Uh, Dan, do you have your notes? As Dan is looking for his I notes. I do, but I don't think I did the brackets because I'm like, oh, Nathan will have them. That's fine. Ah, yeah. I, we relied on you, Captain. <laughs> well, you the us. Captain has failed. I don't know what I've done with them. I could look for them, but I don't feel like wasting any more time. We've already had a few technical issues this morning, and uh, it's pushed us a little off track. So, um, so yeah, the Lighthouse won in, in the... Um, not only did it win in the popcorn punch out, it won like the entire popcorn punch out. It made it to the end on its own merits. And then <clears throat> when going up against um, Swiss Army Man to figure out which one was going to close out the uh, the month, the lighthouse did not unanimously win. I don't think. Maybe it did. I don't I remember. Think, I think Maybe Dan and I voted lighthouse, didn't we? And then you voted Swiss Army <clears throat> Man. Yeah, I think so. <clears throat> I think so. But... Either way, uh, it, it, it would have worked out just fine. But I'm very, very glad that we went in the order that we did because there are some some overarching themes that I think that we're going to be able to pull out <laughs> from each of these movies. If we have time, we are going to do that at the very end of the episode because I want to make sure that we focus on uh, our, our analysis of The Lighthouse first. Mm-hmm. So, so yes. it's a, It was a great bookend with Swiss Army Man because you start up with a movie that's about two guys who are who find themselves uh, near the sea and uh, spend a lot of time talking about farting and masturbation. Uh, and then we end with a movie that's very similar. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. And th- just, you know, two dudes, just dudes being bros. <laughs> and, and they both, I think, have some themes about like d- discovering what life is and yeah there's some away ideas, there's from things and running to finding things. yourself and, and 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 instead of dudes being bros it was filled with dude bros 
Exactly. <laughs> and, you know, maybe falling in love with each other a little bit there. <laughs> rather, than, rather than one of them being dead and coming back, uh, maybe mm. they were dead the whole time. Maybe <clears throat> we'll talk about it. Uh, all right. So if you have never seen The Lighthouse, it is from when, when did this come out? It came out in 2019. 2019. 2019. Directed by Robert Eggers, starring Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe. And uh, the, the simple description uh, based off IMDb, two lighthouse keepers try to maintain their sanity while living on a remote and mysterious New England island in the 1890s, which tells you not a goddamn thing about what this movie is like. This movie <laughs> is uh, Willem Dafoe being just one of the best pirates, but not being a pirate and Robert Pattinson losing his fucking mind. And it is glorious and amazing. And if you caught our last episode, uh, our sort of impromptu, uh, you know, just kind of shooting the shit episode, I started that off with how I don't know how I feel about this movie. I, I needed to sit with it for a minute because <laughs> it's not entertaining, but it's a blast. It is or, sorry. It was not made for entertainment, but it entertained <sighs> the hell out of me. It, I don't think, was necessarily a piece of art, but it is May so Neptune artfully crafted. Down, <laughs> We're going to get into all this, dude. Just hold on. <laughs> And how, like, I don't necessarily think that this movie means anything, but there's still a ton that you can actually get out of it. And so this, the lighthouse is in the very weird nexus of it is all of the things and none of the things. And it is practically perfect. And also a little bit what the f***. And uh, it's it's great. I think that we can say pretty confidently that all three of us unanimously recommend this movie. Heartily. With maybe like with a slight caveat of don't watch it with kids. Uh, maybe don't watch it with your parents because that might feel kind of awkward as you're watching Robert Pattinson <clears throat> watch Willem Dafoe beer assed masturbating in bed. There's some weird things that happen in this movie. Uh, so <laughs> it is amazing and weird. We're going to dive into spoilers. We're going to, to analyze this movie in, in our typical fashion. Personally, I don't think that this movie can be spoiled because uh, it's it's another one of those movies that I think knowing what happens does not give you any context for how you experience yeah. what happens. So it, uh, it, it leads to a very like it leads to the conclusion that you expect it just doesn't play out in the way that it, you expect it to. Well, <laughs> and I had some pretty good expectations of what this movie was going to be like and it met those but like awkwardly and it's not even knowing what to expect it still was a different experience than just knowing some of the things that happened so yeah. if you've never seen the lighthouse in my <clears throat> opinion you can still listen to this episode it's not going to spoil it because us diving into it there's not going to be any like oh, wait what kind of moments in in the movie there's a couple of things that are like I, I, I don't know kind of reveals but also are they really a surprise i mean they're not like they're not reveals that are designed to shock the audience it's more like they're reveals that just like inform the characters um so it's not like the kind of thing where you're like oh my god i'm so surprised that this happened it's just like it's just a way for these characters to peel back these layers and kind of like bear themselves to each other sometimes literally <laughs> <laughs> yep. and it also feels like it feels like some of the stuff that happens at the end is the natural resolution of where the movie is going so if you're again if you're 10 minutes into this movie you probably already know <laughs> roughly where things are going to end so, so yeah in my opinion it can't be spoiled dan eric what do you think do, do you think this movie can be 
quote unquote, spoiled? <sighs> I, I'm kind of with you. Like, this is the kind of movie, I don't actually remember if I knew the ending of it, but I felt like I knew the ending of it. Um, and the like the way that it plays out was still, like, shocking just in terms of, like, the actual imagery on screen. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, by the end of it, it's like, yep, that's obviously how this was going to end the whole time. Yeah, that's, that's actually one of the things that I, I like about it is, is he almost gears you up for an ending that you think is coming. And then does not give you that ending. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, I, I, I would. It would be tough to spoil this, other than hey, they yell at each other a lot, and as the film progresses, <laughs> the yelling gets worse. Yeah. <laughs> there, Which, there's... if you just say, "Hey, two men are are in a confined space," and guess what? As the movie progresses, they don't get along well. <laughs> right, <laughs> and there's it, some. Buzz- it's hard to spoil that because it's human nature, and everyone knows that's what's going to happen with these two. Right, and especially. Like, I even- mean, it starts right at the beginning with him, with Defoe just f-ing riding him for about everything. Mm. You know, this film is not going to go to a good place. Yeah, yeah, and then also very obviously sets up the whole thing with the drinking, where it's like mm-hmm. Robert Pattinson's character is like, "Oh no, I never touch the stuff. I will only drink water." And it's like, "Uh huh, okay, sure, <laughs> sure, friend." <laughs> We know where this is headed. Yeah. Well, and and even saying, hey, you're going to see a mermaid vagina in this movie, that does not prepare you for what actually oh, assaults yeah, yeah, yeah. your eyes. I, so, I knew that going into it. That was that was one of the things that I I knew that there were mermaids and tentacles and, and weird yeah. shit like that, but I didn't... I was not prepared for the way that those, those <laughs> images unfurled. Yeah. If I did not get my mermaid vagina, I was going to be mad. So. <laughs> if anything, uh, this movie does not have nearly as much of that weird shit as I thought. And hey, let's start diving in yeah. right there because this movie doesn't have nearly as much of the weird shit as I thought that it would. I thought mm-hmm. that this movie was going to go just like off the rails and maybe a little bit later into it. Like I thought maybe it was going to do that slow burn up to things, but I thought um if, if you've seen the lighthouse the scene where robert pattinson is doing like his drunken dance and like shaking his head and going like blah, 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 blah. when that happens yeah. i was mm-hmm. expecting around that point for the movie to just go off the rails and for the yeah. mermaid to like start having a real impact and for there to be more tentacly stuff and i i thought the line about the you're fond of me lobster i thought that that was about like willem dafoe f-ing a lobster i <laughs> thought that this movie was going to be <laughs> So oh, bizarre! No, it's, it's because it's not. It might have happened off screen, but he is <laughs> a shellfish at some point. In the lighthouse. There's, there's, yeah, probably every every hole in that building has 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 uh, entertained him yeah. in some way. That uh, wasn't he is, he is given to self abuse in the work shed. So, <laughs> so I thought that it was going to go like that far, and and it didn't. He did say that he'd f- a steak, though. That well, was the whole. That was the whole. Sure. The whole. The whole point leading up to the lobster scene. Yeah. <laughs> Big bloody steak. That's gross. So. And I don't feel like he was being metaphorical with that. No, steak. no, no. He was no. like, I, he's like, I. F- and and then he would eat it. Uh. So so yeah, this movie gets weird in a way that it still taps into those emotions, but not in a way. That's like, hey, I'm going to show you the weirdest shit that you've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And it actually plays it very subliminally. I think yeah. like it's there's stuff that's like in your face, but it's it, there are flashes of it. 
And and the movie calls into question everything that you see on screen in some way, where mm-hmm. you're not really sure if he's actually seeing this, these things or not. Um, yeah, and, and, and yeah, I think that it's very much like like for me, I would compare the weirdness to the weirdness of The Shining. Like th- this movie mm-hmm. is absolutely, it's like for me, it's Val Luton's The Shining. <laughs> it's very much like a combination of an old Val Luton film like The Ghost Ship or Isle of the Dead, but with the plot of The Shining. Right. Mm-hmm. Just two people trapped in isolation losing their minds. Well, and the weird shit Or at shit least one person losing their mind. And maybe both of them. Maybe the other one lost his mind long ago. The weird mm-hmm. shit that you see to me is, uh, and I know that I keep mentioning this movie because it is amazing and perfect, um, it's the same level of weirdness as what you see in um, Possession. In mm-hmm. terms of the amount of time it's on screen. Not necessarily how disturbing it is or how bizarre but you know like possession i thought again i thought that, that was going to be just like way full of tentacle monster sex and there's like one scene and and it's just kind of like a glimpse of it and i was like this this does not show me nearly as much weirdness as i expected based on Honestly, the way people talk about it i think possession is a far more outlandish film than the lighthouse no, the, like the it film, is so his, the like film over is the top. more outlandish and more hysterical and more yeah. bizarre and more melodramatic and overacted in a way that is intentional like the film is more bizarre more bizarre not saying that i'm yeah. saying the like weird otherworldly tentacly you know potentially yeah, yeah. lovecraftian things that you see there's it's about the same amount of time and uh oh shit i don't have the the lead actress's name in possession pulled up but her subway scene is probably Mm -hmm. akin to um robert pattinson's little freak out scene so uh it's isabella johnny thank you isabella johnny uh so yeah uh I'm, i'm gonna go ahead and give a spoiler in that i think that the lighthouse would pair amazingly with possession oh yeah 100 yeah mm-hmm Oh man, where do we begin with this? With this, I, to- this is where we're beginning. We literally well, no, no. Have already begun. God damn it, Eric. <laughs> okay, fine. Where do we go from here? <laughs> I say we uh, talk about the language. Okay. That, that's sure. what marks for me. Marks Robert Eggers' films is in the precision of his language. Yes. Yeah, we were actually talking right before we recorded during our interim, where we were trying to figure out what was going on with the Nathan's recording equipment, <laughs> where. <laughs> It's the kind of film that, like, when you it, when you read it on the page, it is just as like delicious as when the actors deliver it. Like, I was just kind of reading through some of the quotes on the quotes page, and we were like laughing hysterically at it because it's just so. It is such delicious dialogue. It is so like even just even when you're not fully embodying these characters, if you're just reading it off the page, there's something wonderful about just wrapping your tongue around these these incredible words and this incredible old language. Um, no, I, I can't watch his films anymore without the subtitles because I want to see oh, the yeah. words. I absolutely want to see the words um, because, like you said, they're just so much fun to read, to hear. Um, we we know, or at least we've been told, because I don't want to say we know, we've been told they are authentic to the times, and this is how men in this profession would have definitely spoken. You know, it's it's. Well, we, you can't be sure, but you have 100% trust that, yeah, this is how they talk. I mean, I think so, because Robert Eggers is the kind of person who just, like, absolutely, like, envelops himself in literature of the time. and Like, mm-hmm. he tries so hard to get all of the period details accurate. 
from the way that these people speak, like he was reading like contemporary uh, literature from the time that this movie is made. He he uses a lot of like very specific vernacular, like they're lighthouse keepers, but they call themselves wikis. And mm-hmm. um, I'm trying to think of some other some other uh, specific words that they well, like that it, they mention. It never gives you like ye oldy lighthousey <laughs> type of feel, you know. Like it it doesn't mm-hmm. feel. Like I'm sure that it doesn't feel have. very parodic. Like a lot of times when people talk like this, there it's obvious that they're just throwing eth at the end of words. Mm-hmm. And yeah. in this, it all feels so authentic. E- even to the, down to like they're constantly singing little sea shanties, and every mm-hmm. time they uh, they're about to eat, um, Willem Dafoe does the like should pale death with treble dread make the ocean caves our bed speech. The mm-hmm. like little little motto thing there. Um, you know what it doesn't feel like? It does not feel like uh, the future sequence in Cloud Atlas, where it feels like some <laughs> weird made-up language. It feels genuine. I think it feels pretty genuine in Cloud Atlas, too, but that's <laughs> sure. neither here nor there. Because this is, I mean, but again, Cloud Atlas is a made-up language. This exactly. is not. This is very much trying to be accurate to a certain period of of actual history. Right, but like that's the point. Is a lot of times in uh in in ye olde movies, or you know, people doing period pieces, they try to get the language, but in a way that feels like a made-up language of the expectation of the time. You know, it, it, it's kind of like the um. Oh, it, it's like the, is it the continental? Is that how it's referred to? Like the Russian hair, Shay? Like that, like that apparently was never oh, the, the way that anyone ever. The Mid-Atlantic. Yeah. Like that's not a way that ev- anyone ever talked, but you watch old movies and you have the news broadcasters just ah, coming up at five o'clock, Shay. Like that's, it, it's just not the way that people sounded, but that's the way that people expect. And, uh, and yeah, the lighthouse does not have that. It has that very genuine feel with enough of the, all right. Even if you didn't have a, a title card saying when it happened, you know that this is an old time. It doesn't feel like a mm-hmm. current iteration of people doing this thing. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And yeah, I think that like like we were talking about how, how great these words read off the page. I think that that's like so key to, to making this like to getting Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson on board for this. Like I can't imagine we were talking about I can't imagine what it must have been like for them to be talking to Robert Eggers. I think they both had mentioned in, in interviews that they're like, yeah, we watched the, we saw the witch and we were like, Oh, I have to work with this Eggers fella. And mm-hmm. they talked to him. And when he gave him the script, like I can't imagine what they must've been thinking <laughs> reading through this shit on a page, you know, like, <laughs> like it's just the kind of thing where it's like, both of these are actors are who are very much drawn to very strange performances, trying to make something, work on screen in a way that it works on page that is like it seems impossible to make this work in a way that doesn't feel silly or like contrived in some way and the fact that they managed to make it work so beautifully is it's a testament to how great these actors are even if like we had said before like Robert Pattinson's accent kind of goes in and out there's something that's kind of tent like hesitant about the way that he does that performance that I think works really beautifully with that character well and um, two, so two things thing number one there are two farts before any lines of dialogue and not just kind yeah, of like true. background <laughs> yeah. farts there are your introduction to willem dafoe is a fart starting to whistle a song and another fart before yeah and he puts his pipe in, uh, upside down in his mouth oh, which is great. 
the other thing about Robert Pattinson's uh, like going in and out of his accent. When I was watching it, I felt like it was a little bit inconsistent and and it made it harder to place where he was supposed to be from. But knowing how intentional Eggers is with with his dialogue, with his setting, you know, every tiny detail that he puts into the, uh, his movies, I think that it might have actually been intentional. That might have been yeah. Pattinson trying to hide where he's from and so trying to hide his accent. And again, Pulling back up our South conversation, someone from the South, I think, can sound like they are not from the South, but you get them angry and you know exactly where they are from. It's going to so, come out. Yeah. Yeah. So I think yeah. that maybe it was more of that because the scenes where he's the most animated or, or you know, the most emotional, that's where his accent comes out the strongest. So mm-hmm. that might not have been inconsistency. That might have been an incredible detail from Eggers and a f***ing amazing performance from Robert Pattinson to get that right to where he sounds kind of nebulous and like, all right, I, th- I think that you're from the Northeast, but maybe you're from the well, Pacific Northwest. Well, especially the he does it. He is very unwilling at the beginning of the film to share anything about himself. Yeah. He is. He is, you know, self-described not much of a talker. Right. Mm. Doesn't talk. And I, I love it when Defoe just laughs. I'm just like, yeah, you all start out that way. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait till you've been Very ominous. Well, yeah, you'll be talking to me. Well, yeah. And I mean, we, we do come to find out that he is not the person that he appears to be, that he has literally, he's like pulled a madman and has like taken over some other person's identity to just mm-hmm. start fresh because he lives in a world where it's like this, he, that's like the only choice he had at this point. Oh, yeah. um, so um, I, I should probably mention we're going to jump around a lot. That's just going to happen yeah, yeah. with with him. Once you find out that he's taken over someone else's personality and then later when um, uh, when Willem Dafoe is calling him Ephraim or whatever, and he's like, that's not my name. <laughs> do you think that that was um, the character saying I'm going to take over this person now because he never said that his name was Thomas until you know way into the movie do you think that maybe he was trying to uh trying to take over willem a little bit because because i think that he was i feel like he wanted more than anything to get the out of there well yes also i I think he felt like yeah i i've kind of taken over someone's identity i'm kind of a sociopath tom ripley type of character this guy's just straight up and not Hannibal Lecter style. Sure. <laughs> I've met my match. I need to get out of here. <laughs> yeah, but like, uh, I, I don't know. Like, it's, um, I, I do think that the craziness and the escalating tension between them makes it very clear. It's like, yeah, I got to get out of here. But also, I, I don't know. There, there was something about the way that it was played. Not that I it's, necessarily think that she wanted to be him, but more of a all right, I, I've spilled my beans. I got to start taking over another personality, more of like a defense mechanism. Yeah. Don't um, you spill your beans to me? <laughs> <laughs> Why'd you spill your Why'd beans? Why'd you spill your beans? <laughs> um, no, I, I'm with you. That's something that I kind of considered too, where it was like, the movie is so, the movie never really tries to explain anything to you. And if it ever does give you any kind of exposition, it immediately calls into question if it's true or not. So I think that there is this kind of idea where it's like maybe he, you know, he 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 presents himself as Ephraim Winslow and he's Winslow for most of the movie. And then it's and yeah, as you said, it takes Willem Dafoe a very long time to actually reveal that his name is Thomas Wake. And it is after that that 
after Robert Pattinson finds that out and he's starting to get drunk that he mentions his name is Tommy. Yeah. But his name is also Thomas. Um, or to- or he, I think I think it's uh, Willem Dafoe that starts calling him Tommy and he's like, no, I'm Tom. Something like that. I can't remember exactly. Um, but yeah, like you do get the idea that it's like he's he's kind of prepping himself for like if the tender ever does come for us, I need to start getting into character. Right. And there's this very interesting relationship that they have where it begins very much with Willem Dafoe's character like being completely domineering over Robert Pattinson's character. He's, you know, telling him he's going to he's got to make sure he tends to his duties. He's got to clean out the sister and he's if if he tells him to suck down every nail on the on the <laughs> every nail uh uh in the cabin that they're in or whatever he'll do it and he'll do it with a smile on his face i need like a sperm whale pecker yeah exactly god it's oh it's so good but then like the the way that that kind of like once robert pattinson kind of gives into the drink and starts opening up a little bit more and eventually like you get the sense that he kind of admires willem dafoe and in the <clears throat> we were listening to robert pattinson's kind of tirade that he goes on where he Dams, uh, dams Willem Dafoe's farts. And Goddamn farts! <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but like, what happens after that is he's he says something like, "You're not my father." Yeah, and mm-hmm. you do get the sense that he starts to look to him as a father figure, um, and, and that he admires him, and he eventually becomes the more dominant one. Like he eventually. When he pushes back, he literally turns Willem Dafoe into a dog that he like puts a leash on and starts pushing around, telling him what to do when he gains mm-hmm. the upper hand. And it's really, it's really. And that's something Dafoe had been calling him all film. Exactly, he's been calling him a dog, and he's like, "Oh yeah, who's the dog now?" Um, yeah. And, well, and yeah, and psychologically speaking, no one ever says you're not my dad unless they've been looking to someone as a yeah, father. absolutely. It never and, enters and, your head unless you thought that. Yeah, and that like that to me is like when he completes the assimilation to become Thomas Wake. He he oh, is yeah. trying to take over that personality, especially because like that's at the end of his tirade. It was like, uh, you're not a captain, you're not a pirate, you're sure ain't my father. Like it's it's yeah, after yeah. he goes through a few other things. So, uh, Dan, you already mentioned the the sort of uh, talented talented Mr. Ripley. Mm-hmm. When I was watching this, I can't remember if I thought of this during the movie or afterwards, but when I was uh, thinking about The Lighthouse, I was getting very strong uh, single white fisherman vibes. Uh, so... <laughs> <laughs> Someone needs to recut this film trailer now. Yeah. <laughs> single white fisherman. <laughs> That's great. Because you've got the fucking slow dancing scene in there. You've got the fighting. <laughs> you've you've got the lovelorn looks. You've got you, you, patient. Yeah. The the it's, slow dancing, which then ends with them like with uh with them like laying in each other's laps kind of is it yes well and isn't that when uh pattinson says that his name's not ephraim but it's uh thomas like i think that that's when it happened so like i think you're right there this is one of the reasons one of the reasons that i get very very torn on how i think about this movie again i love it there's no question that i adore the lighthouse and i'm going to rewatch it way too many times it is amazing it is so artfully crafted it brings out so many emotions and I think that there is a lot to analyze with it, 
But I don't know how much of it is trying to actually pull out some of that and trying to give you things to think about and how much of it is just, you know, like, yeah, I'm going to give you a weird sea shanty type of story. But uh, but yeah, like watching it with that sort of fe- single white female lens, you get a lot of the uh, sort of like initial initial detachment at the very beginning. You get some of the not really growing respect, but you get some of that. Uh, uh, what's what I'm looking for? Uh, like animosity between them. And then they start growing together a little bit. Then that kind of boils to a head and they like get really fighty. But then that brings them even closer. And then there starts to be that shift in power. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's a really, really artfully crafted way to tell a very simple story of that sort of like you become what you hate and you you know hate what you admire and 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 sort of like that basic human stuff of the you know like dan mentioned you never say you're not my father unless that's already in your mind Mm -hmm. some very heavy freudian stuff of like turning into your parents and yeah like i think that there's a lot in this movie i just don't know how much of it how much of the analysis side was on purpose and how much of it is just again two people stuck in a, a room for an indefinite <clears throat> amount well, of time go, going back to the talented mr ripley comparison it's one of the things i like so much about mr uh, about that film ripley is you think you want something until you actually have it right. and then mm-hmm. you realize it's too much um then you realize you're kind of trapped by that yeah um, it's what it's kind of what makes talented mr ripley such a sad depressing film for me is Tom's realization that he has lied himself. He can keep getting out of these corners, but he is now in a place he never wanted to be. Right. And he's kind of stuck with it. And I feel, you know, the, the Ephraim character that's, you know, he thought he was coming here for a new life to start over. Then he realizes what this is. Mm -hmm. And pretty much the only way to get yourself out of it is to dive. You know, the only way out is in. Yeah. and that's starting to take that mental toll on him. I mean, he's definitely helped along the course of his animosity towards and the way he's treated at the beginning mm-hmm. by Defoe, but also the drink, obviously, and the isolation and the loneliness. And the fact that know, the, uh, to the point where it's like, dear God, how, how f-ing out of your mind do you have to be to even think about having mermaid sex? Like whether or not that actually happened, I'm I'm in the camp that that's firmly in his brain, right? That yeah, but you've still you've still got to be a little out of touch with reality to have that really, and 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 not just like basics. I wonder what it's like to a mermaid. It's oh no, I I have perfectly visualized what a mermaid's vagina must look like. (laughs) Take it out of whether or not he actually had sex with a mermaid and put it into the what we can assume is the reality where he's fondling like a small mermaid toy. Like he's getting turned they found in the bed that was from the previous uh uh, assistant guy or whatever. Hold on, what did he what what did he call it? Uh, a scrimshaw trinket. <laughs> so, so regardless of you know where his mental state is at um, in, in the mermaid questionable scene or mermaid fantasy, he is still fantasizing about a mermaid based off of like a toy where he keeps rubbing his thumb over her nipples, which. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, that just made me think of uh, the the new season of Stranger Things, where there is a Russian doll that has nipples. 
Oh, and wow. And th- again, this just goes into his level of detail. T- detail. Scrimshaw is usually made. Anything Scrimshaw is usually made of whalebone or ivory. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah. yeah. Perfect. Again, perfectly chosen word because you know mm. that's, from, you know, carved from whalebone. Mm-hmm. Damn. Well, and there's an, the other <clears throat> the other part of this that we're not talking about. We keep talking about how much Robert Pattinson's character is losing his mind and how you can't really trust anything. But you also have Willem Dafoe on the other side who is you can never really tell if he is deliberately gaslighting him or if he is like, there's this, there's this great thread with his character where you deliberately lighthousing him, lighthousing him. Yeah, gas. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, He is, he's lighting, lighting his wick on both ends. (laughs) Um, But like, there are moments throughout the film where it's like after it's about 45 minutes into the film where it gets a little crazy where it's like, all right, yep, we're going to be taking our leave. The tender's coming to get us. We're going to be going home. And then it never shows up because the nor'easter wind blows in and mm-hmm. it can't make it to them. And so who knows how long they're going to be trapped out there. Mm-hmm. And then there's the scene where, uh, you know, he talks about how uh, maybe the tender will be here. We, we only just missed it yesterday. And then Willem Dafoe's character is like, it's been two weeks like what are you talking about? And so like there's so many times where you never you don't really get the sense of if he's really losing his mind or if um if Thomas Wake is trying to convince Robert Pattinson if that he is losing his mind. Um Well, you also and, have the scene you have the scene where Willem Dafoe is uh um chopping down the uh the dinghy, the the lifeboat and then chasing Robert Pattinson <laughs> right. all across the island <clears throat> with an axe. And then, mm-hmm. like, without breaking, like, there's not a cut. I, there might have been, you know, like a, a cut in terms of where the camera's placed, but there's not a cut in the action. It is still during that exact scene that Willem Dafoe's character is like, You were just chasing me with an axe. What were you doing? And it's like, Yeah, I just saw you run with the axe. What's yeah. going on here? Was it really Robert Pattinson? And I think that for me, that's part of what played into the how much of it was Pattinson trying to become him and like how much of it was a, a sort of um, um, a presentation of what is going on in his mind and how much of it was Willem Dafoe lying, how much of it was him gaslighting, how much of it was him realizing, oh shit, this young dude with not a bad leg is stronger than me. I need to try to lie about the fact that I was just chasing right. him. And there, there's so much that happens even in just that one little scene with the axe. Yeah, no, yeah, hundred um, percent. It's it's so it's so well done because it also kind of like it puts you into the headspace of his character, puts the audience in the headspace of his character, where you never really know what's going on in the same way that he he never really knows what's going on. It's very subjective, and even like the filmmaking itself, like I can easily see somebody watching the lighthouse and being like, oh, they put it in like the one nineteen aspect ratio and filmed it in black and white, and it's very pretentious and whatever, just to make it look old, but like it feels so deliberate because it makes the movie so claustrophobic and yeah. so, and, and like giving it that black and white feel like uh shooting style also like um, it, it puts you into the mindset of like, this is something that has happened in the past and this is a very old fashioned, so old fashioned that they chose an aspect ratio that like only existed for a very short period of time in movie history from like the transition from silent film to sound film. It was like only three or four years that they used that aspect ratio because they had to have like the space to fit the sound bar onto the film itself. Um, and there, there's just something that's so 
like I like again, I, I kind of get why somebody would call it pretentious, but it like it actually serves the film in a very smart way because it's an almost square frame. Yeah. <laughs> and it is so claustrophobic and it feels like the movie is like just closing in around you while you're watching it. Uh, and it also like it really like emphasizes the the kind of like height of the lighthouse. Like it, it makes it so you frame the lighthouse very beautifully. Mm-hmm. Um and gets into kind of like the uh the the phallic imagery of the film like the very first <laughs> shot whenever they're on the boat going to the lighthouse you see the the island with the lighthouse rising up out of it and it literally looks like a body laying on the ground with an enormous erect <laughs> penis <laughs> which which I'd read later that like that was literally what it said in the script was that it looked like an erect penis and there was supposed to at some point there was supposed to be a match cut of like the lighthouse and then a shot of Robert Pattinson's erect penis <laughs> but I guess they were like uh, maybe that's a step too far that's a, that's a bridge too far for the uh, well, to being able to get this film greenlit and one of the other ways that it fits in perfectly with Swiss Army Man so yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, w- one of the things that I appreciate about the <clears throat> just like pure technical aspect with it being much more that older style to me at least it never looked or felt like it was adding something fake to it like you know um yeah you know, you know when filmmakers will like shoot on digital but then like digitally add grain to it to make it look like it was shot on yeah. film they, they use filters essentially yeah. Yeah. yeah so it's just like i you could just you know shoot this on film you could actually do the thing that you're trying to make it look like or or like when they use the night when someone uses like a red camera and then like just dirties it up a little bit it's just like then don't use you know a 4k red camera just go to the store and pick up a you know dv camera or whatever so to me at least it never felt like that it never felt like the we're trying too hard to make it look like this it was more just a this is how we are shooting it so that's how it looks yeah. To quote and, another uh, A24 film, The Disaster Artist, you know you've got a real uh, alleyway right over there, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's perfect. The, yeah, well, it's, one, it's, one, one, one more thing really quick, because you were talking okay. about how it like really adds to the height of the, uh, the lighthouse, and it adds to that phallic imagery. One of the other things that I love so much about the aspect ratio of this film with how claustrophobic it makes everything and how tight all of those shots are with it being the close ups when uh, when either of the characters stand up and it has like that very low shot looking up and like there's that dark shadow behind it. Yeah, it, it adds so much more. It, it makes the characters look so much more imposing because everything's so yeah. tight and closed in. And then when they stand up and you have to zoom out, but then like still trying to keep where the character was, it just makes it look so much more yeah. sinister. And yeah, to, the, to me, it added a ton to the film. The best shot of the entire movie for my money is when Willem Dafoe gives his, his, uh, you're fond of me lobster speech where he's like so furious at Robert Pattinson for even like suggesting that he doesn't like his food that he like curses him <laughs> and he stands up and like he's starting to move up and like there's the shadow around his face and the, the camera's like just underneath his chin and his mouth is like a gaping maw and like the way the shadows are creeping onto his face it's it's truly terrifying the way that he looks in that moment as he's just like screaming in this long shot um, and, and yeah it's because of the way that it's framed it's because of the fact that like it is just him and it is such a such a vertical image and it makes him look so huge and and it also like the um 
first of all, I just have to say the uh, the ending of that scene is so funny where <laughs> he like goes on like this three or four minute tirade about like cursing him because he doesn't like his food. And then at the end, there's like a beat and Robert Pattinson's like, fine, have it your way. I like your cooking. <laughs> like, it's so funny. <laughs> but there's also that great scene where um, whenever Robert Pattinson is, I can't remember exactly what Willem Dafoe, oh, Willem Dafoe is talking about his previous like, assistant going mad and Robert Pattinson's like ah tall tales and then Willem Dafoe jumps up and slaps him mm-hmm. and starts yelling and then when Robert Pattinson gets up you see his shadow projected on the wall behind him and it's huge yeah and like mm-hmm. he's like looking at the shadow and you see like Willem Dafoe kind of withering back in his seat like yeah don't mind me I'm just an old man and I you know like he's terrified and it's it's emphasized so well with that frame that framing um the use of light and dark in this film is just fucking glorious like it's I, crazy I, love I think how it, well like it seems like natural lighting it seems like they just put a candle in the not. middle i'm just saying it seems like it no 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 I, no <laughs> but no it does it really does but um the so not just well okay obviously a candle's not going to put out that much light to give that stark of contrast but it gives you that feeling of here is a single source of light and that is it. And, and you don't have other parts of the room lit so that you can see what's happening. And aside from just the technical uh, mastery in that of composing the shots to make sure the light source, even if you're using multiple sources of light are framed the way that you want them to, to make it look like it's a single source of light. The simple fact that there are a ton of scenes where you do not see their faces like you don't see what's going on and yeah. like I, I picture you know other actors that you know maybe really like to run in their movies or really like to fly you know fighter planes I can't picture someone uh, like that not letting their face be seen or or like um, you know in Judge Dredd the fact that Sylvester Stallone didn't want to wear the mask because you had to see his face the entire time uh-huh. and I I just think about how much how much faith they have to have in the director to know that there's going to be you know, large portions of this film where they are not seen and trust that it's still going to be okay. And maybe they didn't. Maybe yeah. they're just like, oh, but you can't see my face in the shot. You're not going to see how wonderfully I'm acting with my emotions. And Well, one of the things that I read about the film that I find fascinating is because of like the film stock that they, this is such a gross oversimplification. There's like this huge article that I read there where they're talking very specifically about how they achieved the look of the film. And it's like goes into so much lingo that I just do not understand. But basically like they're talking about because of the way they had to shoot the film, they had to actually like overlight the, the set, like sure. had to make it to where the lights were so bright that it was frustrating for the actors uh, in order to even like be able to see them at all, and I find that so fascinating because it's almost like I don't I wouldn't I don't want to say they did it on purpose, but I do think that it probably actually helped with their performances right. because you have that light in your face the whole time. That after a certain like after a while, like I don't even think they could see each other because of how bright the light was. <laughs> like when they're sitting opposite of each other at the table, and so like I can just imagine how absolutely infuriating that must be and how much that would inform the performance of it which I, I think is so interesting and and again it's like it's it gets at the idea of the whole film is like the the lighthouse like Willem Dafoe is the keeper of the light and I, I love the way that, <clears throat> that because the lighthouse is always like at the top of the frame it's always you're always looking up at it 
up until the end of the film and, and only getting glimpses of it to a certain extent that like it, it becomes this, it becomes the MacGuffin of the film without actually being a MacGuffin where it's like, this is something that they're ultimately fighting for control over. I do um, not think that it's a MacGuffin. I, I mean, I, I get what you're saying of it's a MacGuffin, but it's not. It's, it's a MacGuffin only in that because Willem Dafoe refuses to allow Robert Pattinson to be up there. He's just mm-hmm. drawn to it even more. And it's something that he wants specifically because he's told he can't have it. Exactly. Yep. And that Between both him, that yeah, and, and the ledger. And the ledger, yeah. And the ledger. It's Those are the two things that just drive him crazy throughout the film. And I love that you've brought up that, you know, Willem Dafoe is the keeper of the light. Because it really hammers that importance with that one incredibly super arty cool scene where they're fighting and all of a sudden it pulls back and Willem Dafoe is completely naked and literally shining Shine, yeah. the light from his eyes onto Pattinson. And that, oh, it's such that, a that shot, scene. poster worthy, man. That, that should have been the poster for the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it does look like one of the stills of uh, what shit? What was it? Was it the light behind our eyes? Is that the one that the screening at CFF? There's one scene where there's like that big shadowy dude with the light coming out of their eyes, standing over someone in bed. So maybe they were inspired by the lighthouse. Mm -hmm. Don't breaks behind the eyes. Was that the name of it? Specific painting it was inspired by, which makes which is definitely not a surprise considering how much of this film is based on on myth. Yeah, on myth. Yeah. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. There are definite because I mean the last shot of the movie is very much. Um, I cannot remember the name of the painter, but it's 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 the um, the Prometheus myth. Yeah, I was trying to look this up. With instead of um, an eagle eating out his liver, it's just seagulls. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, oh God, we got to talk about the seagulls. We're going to talk about the seagulls. Um, <laughs> so, so really, really quickly, why I think that the lighthouse uh, and the ledger aren't MacGuffins are exactly what Dane was saying of they're that forbidden piece. And so rather than it being like, oh, I don't know, the new Star Wars movie where like you're constantly told that this is important because it's important to the characters and like they're chasing this down, but it doesn't actually mean anything. What these things, what the lighthouse and the mm-hmm. ledger mean are just Robert Pattinson can't have them. And that's why it means yeah. something. So it's not well, that the it's, lighthouse. It's, they're still means, MacGuffins because they're driving the character but, to, but, to want to obtain them. But it, the movie is not very never, clearly saying like you have to have this. That's it's the like, thing. It's very is, much character based. There's never any like what's the mystery of the lighthouse for the audience. It is mm-hmm. always yeah. just you can't go up there. Well, why not? Yeah. Like, well, um, it's, it's. I mean, it, notice that the. I mean, the lighthouse is the Prometheus myth. And in myth, Prometheus's wife was Pandora. Mm-hmm. And what is the ledger? But essentially Pandora's, Pandora's box. box for the movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. Because so when he opens it, he finds out that that like Willem Dafoe has has actually truly been gaslighting him because he's talking about how like, oh, we'll make a wiki of you. Yeah. And then at yeah. the end, it's like recommend. He doesn't he recommend him for like termination without pay. Yeah. 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 Severance without pay. Severance without pay. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Which, man, um, that's a great scam to just keep getting new lighthouse workers for free for a month. That is <laughs> harsh. Yeah, he's getting them for free. You, you put them with the hardest guy who will drive them f-ing crazy so that they don't do their duty, and then you can just fire them and not pay them for their month worth of work. Yeah, you either have them go so crazy that they kill themselves, or if they make it to the end, you're like, yeah, just cut them. Cut them loose. I'm yeah. with this shit anymore. Yeah, that feels a little more, too more, relevant. More corporate lighthousing. And it's yeah, and it's the it's how he it's how he manages to to keep himself wed to the light. You know, like he talks about how the the light is his is his woman or his mistress or whatever he's, he's wed to it, 
And yeah, the only way for him to make sure that he is the keeper of it for as long as possible is to make sure nobody else has it. And he can't do that if he's got someone coming in and then eventually getting comfortable enough to question his authority. Well, and yeah. especially, you know, since he has seniority, <clears throat> if uh, if the new wikis show up and it's not as good, then of course they're going to trust the senior officer with the ledger saying, well, the reason everything wasn't done was because he wasn't doing his work. And Right, you know, exactly. Yeah. There's going to be some he said, uh, he said, and who are they going to believe kind of thing, which again yeah. makes this film way too relevant, way, way, way too relevant. And also Mm -hmm. fits in really well with Under the Skin. You know what else fits in really well with Under the Skin? When Robert Pattinson walks into the ocean and walks into the black goo uh, and sees Mm -hmm. the mermaid. That's like the the way that he falls into the ocean. Almost exactly Mm -hmm. the same way that uh, the one guy walks into it. I also love too that whenever he does that, you see a bunch of logs coming up which in the moment you don't understand and then later you realize it's because he has all this guilt from taking over Mm -hmm. uh the 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 real Ephraim winslow who when he was a logger he pushed him in and he and the guy got trapped under the logs and now he feels like he's trapped under there in in the same way Mm -hmm. um just yeah it's a lot of we we we've talked a lot about we haven't talked too much about it yet but nathan you and i talked a little bit a couple days ago about how like in watching The Lighthouse, at least the first time I watched this movie, and so far the only time, I, I was like, I don't really know what this means, but I'm just so entertained by what's happening that it doesn't really matter on the first go around. And I'm sure there's a lot mm-hmm. to dig into. And I feel like we're getting into There's so much of it that's just like, it's obviously left open to interpretation and there's no one meaning to it, but there's a... Uh, I feel like we're we're really getting at a lot of different interesting aspects of the film. <laughs> well, so far. and and like that's so that, what that that's what I said at the beginning of this episode and the beginning of last episode, where it's like I do think that you could watch this movie with our hypercritical lens or hyper analytical lens of every tiny every tiny scene meaning something and every little aspect being something that is you know digging you further into this to where you're really getting at the core of this mystery. But you can just as easily watch it as a slice of life. Here's two dudes stuck in a lighthouse. And I think that both of those work perfectly. There are other movies that, while I think that you can watch it as just, well, well, here's what's happening. I don't think that it works that way. Like, I think that some movies, where they get their power is in their messaging. And I think the lighthouse works either way. It kind of gets at what I was talking about with our Spring Breakers episode, where it's like, this is a film that is not so overwhelmed by metaphor that you have to track the metaphor to understand the film. Um, and I, I feel like there are so many movies that are made with like the, it's like, I have a message that I want to send to people and I need to make sure you understand what the message is. And there are so many times where like people take that and work backwards and try to retrofit it into a story where it's like, if you don't get that, then the movie makes no sense. Um, but with this one, it's it's the exact opposite. It's like it's it's very difficult to find <laughs> exactly what the meaning is. But these characters are so interesting and have so many layers to them, and there are so many things that are called into question that like you can spend all your time searching for that, but also you can just have fun like watching these guys like deliver delicious monologues to each other, yeah, and yell at each other and just be supremely entertained by everything that's happening. <laughs> well, and that's the other thing of entertaining versus not entertaining. Again, I had a blast. I love this movie. I do not mean to sound like I'm uh, belittling it at all. I had a great time. It's also true that I'm going to say this and Eric, you're going to be like, oh, f- off, but nothing happens. 
yes, there's lots of things that happen, but it's just two dudes on a lighthouse, and then one of them dies. I again. mean, like you. What? Like, hold on when, now. No, when, when I say nothing happens, what I mean is, it's not. It is just the style of the film. You're not watching some big budget action movie where they're yeah. doing like these grand things. You're not watching. They don't put aside their differences to save a ship that's coming perilously close. There's to no them. plot. Yeah. Right. Like, right. There's no. Exactly. It is. There's just, a lot of story and no plot. Exactly. It is just two dudes on a lighthouse and go. And, and like, that's it. And so when I say nothing happens, I mean that it's not like, you know, any of the Marvel movies where they're trying to save the galaxy or go back in time to save a different galaxy or you know, there, there's none of that stuff. There's no there's nothing really driving the movie other than just two people that exist. So it's yeah, not they need to they need to keep the lighthouse up. Yeah. But, but again, like not for any reason. It's not like I was going to say, I love do the, this. Like, this other thing's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, relating to other lighthouses. It's not even like the fog where a town is getting its comeuppance because of how bad it f-ed over the people that uh, that lived there when they founded the town. There's nothing driving the story. So like at its core, other than this, just kind of weird, like masculine sense of duty. Right. To a certain extent, like they have to keep the light. Right. Which so, I love that you never, ever get any indication that there is ever a ship anywhere nearby. Except for like the people it, that come it, through. No, you just hear keep, the constant fucking foghorn. The foghorn. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it gets so un- like it, you hear it so much that it like really gets under your skin. And it's mm. I, I read a review oh, from oh, someone oh. on Letterboxd that made me laugh out loud where it's like, I love that the foghorn sounds like Godzilla. <laughs> <laughs> yes uh, i was like yes perfect it is like this just monstrous thing there like, that's standing in between them that actually works perfectly because one of the things that i was going to say is i love that so much of this movie the the diegetic noises that are happening are infused into that underlying score that sometimes mm-hmm. it's really hard to tell is this a foghorn that the characters are actually hearing or is this that sort of low droning that so many of these weird artsy movies have uh, as that sort of underlying score? And, and it's really hard to, to, to separate those or like the, the goals that are constantly cawing. Like, you know, when you see the birds, like, oh, yes, obviously that's a bird. But it still has some of like that shrill noise that's just infused into the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. And it, it makes it really hard to discern what is happening within the context of what the characters are experiencing and what is happening within the context of what the audience is watching. Yeah. And even as you listen to it, like the more you hear it, the more like it, it takes on this whole new meaning where like, yeah, it does eventually like start to sound incredibly monstrous. Like there's yeah. this there's just like they don't need to walk outside because if they do, they will be just destroyed by whatever this horrible thing is mm-hmm. out there. Um, it's so good. Also, seagulls. Guys, <laughs> we we haven't even talked about the seagulls yet. And I, I want to talk about them because they are the especially the one seag- I love that like part of the first half of this movie in 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 the whole like setup of the film which is done very well where you kind of get an idea of like what their daily routine is where Robert Pattinson's doing all the like menial labor and Willem Dafoe's just like sleeping and then f***s off to the lighthouse tonight <laughs> um, that like there's also this little subplot where Willem Dafoe has this incredible rivalry with a seagull no, Rob- who, Robert Pattinson uh, what did I say, did I say you, Willem Dafoe? Yeah you said Willem <clears throat> my bad uh, Robert Pattinson has this like adversarial uh, has this adversary in a seagull which I've just I'm looking at IMDB they they have it 
um, uncredited, but they they list the seagull in the credits as Sully <laughs> Seagull, which I find fucking <laughs> hilarious. Um, but this seagull that's just constantly like pestering him throughout the oh. film, and then of course Willem Dafoe's like, ah, you best be leaving him alone because it's bad luck to kill a seabird. And you're mm. like, well, of course he's going to murder this thing at some point in the film. And the mm. way that he murders it, woo, I. I'm I'm positive that they did not really kill a bird, but watching it, you are R.I.P. not going to convince me that they did not actually have Robert Pattinson bashing a real <laughs> seagull against a rock. Yeah, it, it's incredible. Well, and it even oof. like one of the things I love too is they do such a good job of setting up the, this idea that like, um, like he gets so frustrated because he has to clean the cistern because <laughs> if he doesn't, then they won't have clean water. And then he tries to get some water out of it later and it's like all nasty looking. And then you go in and you see that a seagull has died in there. Mm-hmm. And then that other seagull with one eye, which you learn later or maybe even before that, like hit the old, uh, what are they called? Like the, the second in command, the, the, oh, the mate. Do, do you know why it's bad luck to kill a seabird? Because it has yeah, the souls of dead because sailors. They carry, well, they carry the spirit of the dead back they carry the, the sea. Yeah. And what is the one eye is obviously you know, foreshadowing the, the one-eyed guy that he finds in the lobster pot later. Yeah, which, which is and supposed brings to brings back to the, you love me lobster. It's <laughs> like, <laughs> I didn't even think about that. That's, that's, that's awesome. Um, well, I'm trying to th- there's also, a scene later on where he accuses Willem Dafoe of killing his second in command mm-hmm. pre- previously. And, and he, he's like, yeah, I found his head in the lobster pot. Mm-hmm. So, and then, but what's great about it too is like he finds the head, and then you never see it again. Like you never, mm-hmm. he never like takes it and c- confronts Willem Dafoe about it in any way. Well, is is it another thing that really happened? Right. Or yeah. In his mind, that this is what he did. Right. Well, and uh, Dan, I'm glad that you mentioned that the seagulls are carrying the souls, and I'm glad that you mentioned uh, you know Pandora and some Greek mythology earlier, because one of the things that this movie very strongly for me uh, sort of brings out is that feeling of them crossing over the river the river sticks, mm-hmm. and there's I think enough of this film to call into question: Did they die? Maybe not necessarily at the beginning. But you know, maybe during the uh, the storm coming and the the nor'easters, I think that there's enough of the island is purgatory and they are dead and they are damned there for eternity, and like that's some of the weird things that are happening is just the sins of their past coming back to haunt them. Yeah, and and, and again, well, maybe not. I mean, they definitely died with, the, with the Prometheus myth too, because he his liver constantly regenerates in the myth. The eagle never yeah. kills him; he is alive during the eating of his liver every, all day. So, yeah, well, and, that, and that lends some truth to that thought that that could be the, the case. Because yeah, where they are just stuck in that eternal cycle yeah. of you know, like I, I I would not have been even the tiniest surprised if the last shot of the film had been them back on the boat sailing back to the island and the entire yeah. thing starting all over. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think yeah, I would like have liked that end. Yeah, like if the boat had end. been coming in the, in the fog at the end. I'm, I'm, hmm, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have liked it, but I wouldn't have been surprised, and I feel like it would have fit. Yeah, I, I do like that. Uh, the, the, to add to kind of like the whole mythic aspect to it, Dan, that you had mentioned, at one point, uh, Willem Dafoe even like makes a prophecy kind of about how... He says something about how... Uh, Robert Pattinson's character is is Prometheus or is a Promethean mm-hmm. figure or something. He says something about him being Promethean. And yeah, the movie ends with him 
stealing the light and mm-hmm. then falling down the stairs and it, and then he is like out on the rocks uh being eaten by the seagulls and he is still alive you get like you yeah. can tell that he is still there and he's and, being and nude now for some reason and dude yeah he lost his he lost his clothes the seagulls pecked the clothes away well, uh, I, I, I just picture more as he's falling down the stairs like a shirt comes off okay. yeah, closer like yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah because it does cut away before you see him hit the bottom i believe yeah um, but it, again with with the scene earlier with defoe with the lighthouse eyes he's completely nude so i feel he, like be the keeper of the light you must He's nude, yeah, and like in the earlier scenes, when you first see him up there and he's staring into the light, he he at the very least has his shirt off. Yeah. Uh, Oh, I totally think he's nude. Yeah, he's absolutely there. We we won't know for sure until the four K, but you know, (laughs) (laughs) he and his lady are are uh, are cavorting. Cavorting is that even a word? What what's the word? No, cavorting. Cavorting is that right? Does that work? Okay, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I like read words and I get them in my head and I'm like ah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Cavorting is okay, yeah. Apply oneself enthusiastically to sexual or disreputable pursuits. Okay, perfect. Yeah. And, and this was both. Right. Yes. And this is both. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> disrepute. <laughs> oh, man. No, I mean, the, the, there is the possibility that, yeah, this is, is purgatory. And even if it's not literally, it's, it sure as hell is figuratively. Oh, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Because it's like, you, you I mean, the four, the four we- before the killing of the bird, the first four weeks seems to go by rather quickly, mm-hmm. and or most of the four weeks goes by rather quickly without much problems. Mm-hmm. And then, as soon as he kills the seabird, the wind you know, changes. You get the the, the wind changes. The storms the come. The the stores are damp. You know they lose all their food, um, so they have to rely on drinking nothing but whiskey. So even if it's not a literal purgatory, it sure is figuratively. Yeah. Oh God, I love it too. That like when they finally they finally break Robert Pattinson, and he has to start drinking, and then like they just they have to spend every, they just spend every night drinking, and it turns into Spring Breakers at that point. For it does, bit. yeah, very much. <laughs> to the point where like they go dig up some rations, and yeah, you, uh, whatever he does, it's just more alcohol, and then yeah, and, and you get you get a fantastic party montage. You do, you do really do, and dancing and arguing and fighting, and then more drinking and more making up. Yeah. It's, it's a perfect montage scene. And and then you even get the I love the the monkey pup scene where they they're getting the turpentine and just putting some honey in it and and drinking that like oh god it's so insane like just to see how far gone they are at that point yeah well and that'll destroy your brain like that's the other thing is yeah this could all just be alcohol poisoning this could be a giant PSA about hey kids don't drink. Oh man, the scene. Yeah, because Robert Pattinson never like, starts losing his mind until he starts drinking. Not yeah. really. He he is a little bit kind of stir crazy because he's like horny and you know like sick and sick of Will Defoe shit. But yeah, once he starts drinking, go on, damn. I'm sorry. And the scene where he's trying to piss in the pot, the chamber pot that's floating back and forth. <laughs> <laughs> until he eventually just has to get down on his knees and vomit near it. Essentially. Yeah, it's like again we talked about it a little bit off before we started, but just how bad that place must smell. Oh at God. That uh, yeah. Cause it's, it's already got that feeling like every single inch of that house has been splashed with piss at some point or another. Mm-hmm. At least, I mean, he's already, you know, had his, had to carry out the chamber pots and thrown them into the wind. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Eliciting some very strong big Lebowski vibes. 
Oh yes. <laughs> and then and then you know, walking through like a horrific rainstorm, and he gets inside, and he still smells like shit. Apparently. Oh uh, yeah. And he's so. Yeah, he, oh. I also love too in that scene where he's trying to piss in the chamber pot. That's like whenever it's flooded in there too, right? It's it's mm-hmm. yeah, and like there's also a uh, in the foreground. There's like a a ship in a bottle. <laughs> and it's like that's also such a good metaphor for the movie itself is like they are just stuck in a f-ing ship on a bottle. Well, and we didn't we didn't even mention uh, the, the fact that Robert Pattinson is like constantly having to go get the coal and wheel it in the wheelbarrow, much like Sisyphus uh, pushing the mm-hmm. motor over yeah. the mountain in just that constant repetitive every day is the same. Every day is torturous. And I, I wasn't fully <laughs> thinking about Greek myths when I was watching this because you know, it's ye oldie sea shanty and not the Northmen. But like, yeah, the more that we talk about it and drawing in from some of those Greek myths, I I really feel like a lot of that is intentional. Again, whether or not oh, yeah, was trying to say anything with that, whether or not he was trying to say that, you know, monotonous work will drive you insane. I don't know. But I definitely think that he was pulling in uh, on, on some, you know, classic literature of just, you know, sprinkling a little bit here, a little bit there to, to form these scenes into a cohesive story of madness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'm 100% with you. Like, like, like you said, I don't know if there was any point he was trying to make other than just like when you infuse the film with all of this extra stuff, like pulling in all of these disparate elements from, from like it's such an elemental film that I think it works beautifully to kind of flesh out everything that you're seeing where it has this, you know, it can be you can draw parallels to this and, and these different myths. Um, it really fills out the film in a way that I think works beautifully. Yeah. And I even texted the two of you. Um, maybe part of the meaning of this film is that there's not meaning. And so as the audience, we are constantly searching for meaning and that search for meaning is actually the meaning of this film and how yeah, they are I trying think, to find meaning yeah. in their life. But the way that that's infused into the movie is not by presenting scenes of them searching for meaning, but by giving you meaningless scenes, forcing you to search, putting you in their position. And again, yeah, positive that that's it's, me just being hyper analytical. But uh, well, I mean, I, I don't think I don't necessarily think so. I mean, I I mean, I feel like the whole like Robert Eggers just wants you to find to search for something like his right. whole thing is I don't want to tell you what's going on in this film. I want you to figure it out for yourself. So, yeah, I think there's that's absolutely there. Um, oh, shit. I forgot what I was about to say. Uh, I do this. I do. There's at least one point in every single episode where I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm building up to a point and it's gone. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> why I take notes. Well, I do, too. I take too many. There's only one more thing that I really want to focus on. I, I feel like there's a lot that we could still talk about. I feel like at this point, it's probably going to be sort of rehashing some of the other things that we've already mentioned. So for me, there's only one more main point that I really, really want to discuss with the two of you. But before we get into that, uh, are there any other uh, main points that either of you want to make sure that we talk about? Because I I feel like we've touched on pretty much all of the like the main points uh, that we've set out to discuss. Um, We've talked about. Oh, I remember. Okay, Okay, good. Go. Good. Uh, so one of the things that I was thinking about is like, I don't really have any uh, negative things to say about the film overall, but I do think that the, I do think that that whole idea about the search for meaning and the fact that you could easily read so many different interpretations of every scene and the fact that 
everything has meaning and nothing has meaning to a certain extent. I do think that that's probably the one sticking point with the film that could be frustrating for people because I've mentioned so many times about how like I hate movies that are dream sequences and all that kind of stuff because it makes everything pointless and because you're I can easily, wrong dude I could, you've watched too many the, bad uh like dream sequence movies it's like me and found footage i've just watched a bunch of shit found footage i didn't watch some good right. ones you apparently <laughs> well, just have watched like, is it's like bad dream sequence movies watch the good ones appreciate it and then go watch the trashy ones and have fun with them yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of what I'm getting at, too, is it's like, I think that it'd be easy for someone to watch this movie and just sit there and be like, well, if I don't know what's real, then what's the point of any of this? Yeah. Um, but again, I do think that the movie does such a good job, like for me, where it is involving you so much just in the baseline story of what's going on and the way that these characters are interacting with each other and just the performances in general are just so outstanding and it's so this movie is so fucking funny. Like I laugh so much in this movie. Yep. It is hysterically <laughs> funny, and uh, I think that goes such goes a long way. But it does such a good job of layering these details in without like beating you over head over the head with the idea that like oh this could be all in their head or this could be whatever. Like it it layers it in in a way that feels um, feels natural and organic, and it. It also is affecting the characters, and it is something that they are contending with in the same way that you, the audience, are contending with it. Uh, so lighthouse. I think that it's, it's very similar to The Shining, again, in that way, where uh, it is it is very much about these people going through these kind of mental breaks, and it layers... It layers those things in really well with great imagery, and, um, and yeah, anyway, that's, that's all I wanted to say. You, you mm-hmm. know what else The Lighthouse is like? What? It's like Seinfeld in Purgatory. Um, yeah. A bunch of selfish pricks just uh, getting pissed off at each other for stupid things. And uh, yeah, sure. Fine. Sure. <laughs> so, Dan, before I dive into my last point uh, and before we start yeah, talking about some... constantly barging into the room. <laughs> very Kramer-esque. Uh, the, the, the episode he's, got Kramer, the, he's got some Kramer-esque hair. That's for sure. Well, the, the episode of Seinfeld where the, uh, the not Kenny Rogers chicken, or maybe it was Kenny Rogers, I don't know, but the sign outside of Kramer's place with that bright red light that was driving him insane. Yeah, it's totally Seinfeld in hell. <laughs> so before we start diving into the, uh, the connections between all three of the films that we've discussed from a 24 and before i get into my last point dan is there anything else that you want to make sure that you've mentioned that we've not already been discussing i am ready to move on all right so uh dan i as as i am prefacing this uh can you find that video that you sent to me and eric of the uh the recut of the witch trailer and post that in the chat okay yes i'm sure i can so Dan just texted to me and Eric a, a recut of the witch trailer, the Vivitch trailer. And, you know, it does one of those things where it's like, uh, you know, what if Elf was a horror movie where it takes the uh, some scenes from Elf, but then adds like the super creepy music and like it totally works. You could totally watch Elf as, you know, like Santa kidnapping this kid. And now there's this monster giant human elf coming back to terrorize the person who abandoned him. You know, th- those things are lots of fun. Uh, Mrs. Doubtfire as a horror movie also totally works. The mm-hmm. Shining as a romantic comedy, that's a really good one. So there's a lot of these uh, you know, fake trailers for movies recut with different uh, scenes and different music to give it a different style. 
Dan sent us, and I think that he has just posted in the chat. Oh, he's about to post in the chat. Um, I am about to post it right now. So Dan is posting in the chat. What if the rich was a Wes Anderson movie? And oh my God, this trailer is about as perfect of a, yep, if this were a Wes Anderson film, this is exactly the scenes that they would use. This is exactly the music that uh, that would be cut. It is perfect. The only thing about it is the lighting is a little bit off. It's a little bit too sepia toned rather than having that very bright brown and very bright pink kind of stuff. Oh yeah, they changed the, I love that they, that's my favorite part of the trailer though, is that they change it to give it more of like a, a fall-esque, like an orangey kind of mm-hmm. color to it because the the movie the witch the movie itself is like very dark and gray and drab but this is like has a bit of a lighter tone to it they did a good job for for what it's worth <laughs> for for what they could do with it but yeah it's it's just amazing mm-hmm. and i hadn't seen the witch yet i had watched the lighthouse i think ooh, maybe you sent this before i watched the lighthouse i can't remember the timing is a little bit off but uh i watched the lighthouse and this trailer and i had not yet seen the witch and then i just watched the witch the other night after watching the lighthouse after watching this fake trailer of what if the witch was a wes anderson film and uh this fake trailer absolutely has an impact on the way that i view robert eggers because watching <laughs> his films, watching <laughs> what, has, what hast thou wrought dan i watch robert eggers as like the super artsy with a horror bent wes anderson in mm-hmm. both the witch and the lighthouse there are so many similarities in the way that the shot is composed the cinematography like there's one scene uh, in the lighthouse where it's at like the bottom of the lighthouse and it pans over but then pans up and like you're tracking with the the view looking up the lighthouse that is yeah. straight oh, out of anderson shot. it's a great yeah. shot that anderson has done a ton of times they, and they both have ridiculous attention to detail. Yeah, that's so the much thing that, that yeah, you, you can pause the film and look around, like say the contents of the lighthouse or the contents of whatever room Wes Anderson scenes are taking, and everything in there feels like it belongs there. Yeah, yeah. there's nothing anachronistic. There's nothing that just seems out of place or is in there to you know be a a nod to something else. They all. Yeah. They're very honest with the scenes they set. Yeah, yeah they literally built everything in the mm. lighthouse to make sure insane. that it was period accurate, which is insane. Yeah, which so, is also what they did with the witch. I mean that. Yeah, uh, yeah. That cabin exist. They built that cabin. It existed. So the the attention to detail, the framing, the uh, the the timing, like oh man, especially in the witch, there are so many scenes where someone will say something and it'll cut to a reaction shot of them just looking like Mm -hmm. the, the, and there's a few uh, in the trailer, but the one where um, the, the main actress and the witch says something to the twins and the goat, and then it cuts to them and the goats just kind of looking at her, just all the head cocked. (laughs) It's just, Mm -hmm. that is exactly what you would get from an Anderson film. And, and again, obviously watching this trailer shaped that. And if I hadn't watched the trailer, uh, this fake trailer, I don't know if it would have been brought out that heavily for me, but (laughs) Who man, there are so, so to me, at least so many similarities, not in the style of story, style of story that they tell, but the ways in which they tell their stories. And 
Uh, in, in the same way that um, uh, the Coen brothers and Sam Raimi were contemporaries and, you know, like doing a lot of the like Raising Arizona uh, versus Evil Dead. Like those two movies are nothing alike, <clears throat> but there's a lot about them that have very, very similar aspects. To me, that's kind of how it felt watching uh, The Witch and The Lighthouse, like down to e- even down to um, uh, like in The Witch, I could totally see. Uh, oh shit! Uh, Jason Schwartzman playing the younger brother, and it would work great. Like the, the awkward, uh, <laughs> the awkward coming of age sexuality that's sort of infused into it. It's just yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, that's very uh, Royal Tenenbaums. <laughs> yeah, I was just saying. Then you've got Ben Stiller's two boys playing the twins. <laughs> exactly. Like, could you not see the dad and the witch saying, "This is my adopted Margaret Thomason"? Like, <laughs> Uh, the, that fake trailer kind of broke me a little bit in a way that i am super super happy about because again their films are nothing alike in tone but in style i cannot not see eggers films as uh the <laughs> yes uh robert posted in the chat angelica houston as the witch absolutely oh 100 percent yeah <laughs> Or Tilda Swinton. No, yeah. nope. Angelica Houston. Oh. Tilda Swinton can be the Anya Taylor Joy character. Exactly. <laughs> she, she can play. She can play much younger. So, did you? Have you guys ever seen the uh, SNL? Actually, did a uh, a bit with a, a Wes Anderson horror movie. Have you ever seen that before? Yeah, I yeah. saw that. Okay, this is better. <laughs> this Very is funny. infinitely better than that one. Like that one's done pretty well, but. Yeah, uh, that that's all. I I didn't have much to say about that, um, other than just go go to our Discord or you know just search for uh, the witch as Wes Anderson, and uh, yeah, enjoy. No longer funny. being able to see Eggers films as not the much darker uh, Anderson films. That's all. That's all yeah. I have to say about that. I just. It, I, I feel like now, now when I go to watch the Northman. Uh, oh, by the way, the Northman comes out on Paramount Plus June six. Oh, sweet! I have Paramount Plus uh, for a little bit. I'm definitely going to be watching that. I'm, I'm going to have so to get now. The, I'm unfortunately going to be watching that. Was like, what? What if Wes Anderson made a Viking film? <laughs> well, and the way that like the, the, the characters, I mean, um, it has the mother, dad, or mother, father, uncle issues that he's so fond of. Yeah. Uh, yes, you've also got a ton of like that center focus, like person staying right in the camera. And the distance between the camera and the person stays the same, but then other things happening around them keep changing. Like, mm-hmm. honest to God, in The Witch, if you change the depth of field and the color and the music, which, you know, all things that could be done in post, I think that you could easily have a Wes Anderson film. The, the Witch isn't Oof. funny. There's a few scenes that made me chuckle, but it's not funny like The Lighthouse is. The Lighthouse is funny. But like you would not have to change the performances, the timing, anything. You could take the film as is, kind of fudge the depth of field a little bit, uh, change the color a little bit, and switch out the music, and and you've got a Wes Anderson film. Um, so so yeah. Ah, Interesting. All right. That's uh, that's all that I had to say about that. Again, not much of a discussion. I just needed <laughs> to point that out so that others could be broken like I am. Um, another thing that's very interesting, uh, Sully Seagull, just want to say, is also apparently the seagull um, in The Shallows and Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. Wow. That's an accomplished seagull. Quite TV. Yeah. It's quite a, quite a bit. Also, the Barb and Star one is amazing. I would, I'm, I assume it's mostly a puppet, but uh, 
that whole uh, sandcastles in the sand bit where with a uh, what's his face uh, shit what's his name the dude from Fifty Shades of Grey Jamie something god damn it I can't remember. Do- Jamie Doran Jamie Doran yeah oh god it's so funny uh, I just I love the idea that that's the same seagull <laughs> in that film I just love that they have a trained seagull uh, yeah trained seagull can you imagine yeah and also like man the way that they. <sighs> The fact that there's a seagull wrangler and the stuff that they get this seagull to do in this movie is really incredible. Like it's sitting there literally like taunting Robert Pattinson and they're like long shots of the seagull doing stuff. I assume there's a maybe a little bit augmented digitally, but it never feels like it at all. Well, other you know, than maybe the fact that it has one eye. You you do know that the seagull like, you know, is is heavily trained in improv, right? <laughs> heavily trained. Yeah, of course. You know why? Of course. Why? He's always a, he's always winging it. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> I should have seen this coming. Really uh, beautiful, Nathan. <laughs> Love it. Uh, so oh, yeah. And then Robert, uh, Robert Woods over here in our chat mentioned that he is credited as Steven Siegel in the shadows. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I want to be friends with that seagull wrangler. That is Absolutely. just amazing. Can you imagine if your job is, I was trying to look it up in the credits here. I think it's like Caroline Levy or Levy. In the credits, uh, let's see here. S- line producer. Well, it just says line producer, Seagull Unit, London, Caroline Levy. <laughs> um, I don't uh, know if that's <clears throat> really what uh, what that like. There's a Seagull unit. What does that even mean? Did they just have like? They just had a specific unit for all the Seagull stuff. <laughs> they just really had cool. like ten people standing out on the beach holding up sandwiches so that they could be taken out of their hands. <laughs> I'm All right, so here. let's talk about some of the overarching themes because this is, again, closing out our A24 uh, series. Let's talk about some of the themes that we've noticed across this trilogy of films. So going from Swiss Army Man to uh, Spring Breakers to, um, uh, to The Lighthouse. And there's even a little bit of blurring with uh, Under the Skin. We, we watched that as part of our All Out yeah. Aliens attack, but it's what bridged um, April into May. And it was also an A24 film. So I, I think that we could mention some of that, but especially focusing on uh, Swiss Army Man, Spring Breakers, and, and The Lighthouse. And one of the ones that I want to point out is, Eric, something that you've mentioned in all three of these episodes. And I want to highlight this, if for no one else but you, all three of these movies, you've talked about how like it has that dream sequence-like quality or dream logic where it's just mm-hmm. like, maybe this movie doesn't mean anything. Maybe none of this movie actually happened. It could all be in their head, and none of that matters because the film is still so great, and you're just on this experience with these people. And I want to highlight that because that's the entire f***ing point of dream logic movies is the movie's not supposed to make sense. You're supposed to be on this journey with them. It's not about what really happened. It's about how they are experiencing what is going on. So yeah, yeah. all three of these movies have that quality. And and it's just all three of these movies also don't literally say it's a dream. Exactly. I think that's the problem is when you, it's you like you hate it when it my gets biggest to the issue, end and it's like it was all a dream. Is sure. my biggest issue is when it's something like in the film spoiler alert for a movie that I believe you guys talked about last uh, on the last episode that I wasn't involved with, um, Identity. Oh, yes. F***ing hate identity. the end of that movie. Because <laughs> it just makes everything pointless. Because but it's it, like, oh, it these are just manifestations no. of different parts of this person's personality. Go f*** yourself. But like, it, no. it doesn't so make stupid. it pointless. It doesn't. Because I, hate I, it. I don't love the ending of the movie. And I even talked about that. I do not love the <laughs> ending of Identity. 
but that does not invalidate the rest of what's going on. And I think that it's actually I think I just a, hate it as a twist. It is, it is a great it, recontextualizing it and knowing the ending and going back and rewatching it. It turns identity into a great example of someone who is struggling with different parts of themselves and how do they, you know, arrive at who they are. And it's not as simple as, Oh, just stop doing this thing. You know, you're in constant struggle. You know, at the thing about anyone with any sort of addiction problems and people are just like, Oh, we'll just stop doing drugs. It's not that fucking easy. Like, yeah, there, I mean, I think it's an interesting struggle. Concept. And identity. I think it's great. I don't love it the doesn't, ending. I don't I don't love the ending. I'm I'm on board with that. I do not love the ending. The, the, the movie is, still works because of the journey that you're on okay, with that character. I don't like it. Like in all of these movies, what they're doing is they're folding the dream logic into the actual form of the film. Where it's like you're like in Spring Breakers, it is literally like the way that the film is shot and the lighting and the music and all of that and like the elliptical editing and all that. Like that is how it evokes the dreamlike logic. It's not like at the end, oh it was all a dream and we're now back at college. Like that's the shit that I hate. But under the skin is also like it's very dreamlike because it is trying to deliberately show you how these people are just like completely like they they are completely narrowly like narrowly focused on Scarlett Johansson's character and you know all of these movies do it and fold it into the film diegetically and make it part of the fabric and the texture of the film itself mm-hmm. what i hate is whenever it is used as just like kind of a cheap twist that and that's um, fine i'm just saying you know i'm just saying there's other movies that you could appreciate because like but- i mean but I, I do film think is inherently dreamlike. Like that sure. is the beauty of of film is like there is no, it is the closest that we've come to literalizing dreams in any kind of art form. Uh, like that is the way that we the way that we infer meaning through the juxtaposition of images is literally what a dream is to a certain extent. And so, like I think using that in the actual language of the film is is great, and layering that in in a way that feels thematically resonant is is exactly what movies should do. Um, and these movies all do it very, very well. Yeah. Um, I, I don't disagree with you. I'm just saying yeah. you could have room to have fun with other so I, I do agree with you. I mean, we're, we're on the same page here. Okay. We're fighting over something that we agree on, which is uh, very <laughs> on brand for the two of us. <laughs> Dude, I love it when we will get into like a heated debate where we're just agreeing <laughs> with each other. We're like, we're basically like Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson where they're just like screaming at each other and then they end, we end slow what? dancing and, and holding what? each other. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what 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 <laughs> so uh yeah uh i also think that all three of these movies have a very uh a very central theme of like finding yourself or finding meaning or finding purpose like i, I think that it manifests in yeah. different ways mm-hmm. because in swiss army man it's more about none of this materialistic shit matters at all and so like it's more of like trying to to free yourself from all of that in spring breakers it's the opposite end of the spectrum of when you feel like you have nothing like that focus on materialism, you know, mm-hmm. like that, that sometimes drives your decisions because, you know, it, it's like the uh, people say money can't buy happiness. Yeah. Great. Tell that to someone who's poor, like money right, might not be yeah. able to buy happiness, but it does buy necessities. Convenience. Exactly. Audition Blu-rays, which make me happy. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> So, so yeah like uh um spring breakers is way more about materialism and look at my shit 
And there's a different focus where because the characters are centering on that as audience, we're like, that's well, that's dumb. That's not worth focusing on. You know, when when uh, James Franco was talking about all the different color shorts he has, where it's just like, I, this is pointless. And so, like, it's emphasizing that for the audience. And then in the lighthouse, mm-hmm. I think that search for meaning is not necessarily about things, but about connection, because you get some of that in Swiss Army Man as well. Because they are isolated, yeah. but there's like a, a um, more of a driving force of like trying to get back into society as they are on this journey. And in Lighthouse, it's just you are stuck. You are on the run from who you used to be or you're pretending to be someone you're not. And I don't know. Yeah. I, I really like those themes of, again, just identity and meaning. And I feel like all three of these films have fit together so much better than we possibly could have planned. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm a hundred percent on board with what you're saying. Also, uh, farts and boners. Goddamn farts! <laughs> uh, farts and boners. That's what life's about. Oh. <laughs> and mermaid vaginas. Ah, uh, yep. Dan, do you have anything to add to that? No, I mean we we've pretty well covered it. It's especially with all three films, it's how often we get in our own way of where we want to be. How self-sabotage just can continually f*** us. And while it doesn't appear to be the case so much in Spring Breakers because it's their choices which make them the drug lords, we all know that is not how shit's going. Yep. Um, So it's all, you know, anxiety. You know, our anxieties about who we are and what we want to be tend to be the biggest obstacle to overcome. Mm-hmm. Most of these films, even when they do overcome them, it's not necessarily a good thing. <laughs> Sometimes the universe yeah. is twisted and cruel, man. <laughs> well, and it's also uh, along with that, uh, and I wasn't really thinking about this until um, you know what we were just saying, where there's also a lot of the the face that we put on in public, you know, who we try to be mm-hmm. not necessarily finding out who we are, but like yeah. a Swiss army man where Paul Dano is like constantly showing, well, this is what society expects you to be. And like how he mm-hmm. has to present uh, a different Paul Dano is trying to teach Daniel Radcliffe. Like, Oh, this is how you would talk to a girl, even though that's not what he himself would ever do. So like right. having to put on, um, you know, having to put on that mask and then in spring breakers, James Franco, I think, absolutely is putting on a an air of, well, mm-hmm. you know, this is what I got to do if I got to make those bills, y'all. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and then all of the girls are, you know, like they're seeming a lot more hard than I think they actually are because, again, they, yeah, they they're acting just, like it's a video game. Exactly. Yeah. They, they are. They are literally just pretending, pretending they're characters. in a movie. <laughs> and then in the lighthouse, you know, you have Robert Pattinson literally pretending to be someone else like having to take on the role of someone else within the context of the movie and uh and and again willem dafoe trying not to open up to willem dafoe and yeah and willem dafoe not being a real pirate and not really being his father (laughs) and there's (laughs) oh yeah we didn't even talk about the fact that he's constantly changing his story about how he lost his leg (laughs) (laughs) or why why it's it's scurvy and yeah he's 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 ledger's joker man yeah absolutely Yep. <laughs> you like that's so funny. I actually thought about that at one point beforehand. I forgot to mention it, but yeah, he uh, he likes his back his uh backstory multiple choice. 
Yeah. <laughs> Which adds a ton to the film. All right. I don't think that I really have much else to say about the lighthouse or about a 24. Either of you have any closing arguments. Goddamn. Um, great month. It it's really so good. Yeah. yeah. I'd say goodbye uh, to it. Once again, our, our popcorn punch out put us in a place we didn't expect to be. And we are all the better for it. <laughs> we absolutely. absolutely are. And I've been trying to watch other A24 films this month and like actually trying to get the most mm-hmm. out of May 24. Um, and I got a few in. I got uh, I watched yeah, X Machina. I, I just hit 20 Jeez. yesterday. That is way I think I got I one other one in and it was Slow West and it was excellent. Oh, that's such a great film. Though. So it, good. That one sounds amazing. I've not had a chance to watch it. I watched uh, X Machina and um, Midsommar. And was that it? I think that might have been. No, you watched the witch and, and the witch, right? And the witch. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm gonna try to either watch Son of a Gun or Life After Beth, um, <laughs> either today or tomorrow. Are there 31 days in May? How many days in May are there? There's one there's more. 31. Okay, yeah. So I still have tomorrow. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to at least get one more uh, May Gee. 24 film because May 24 is at its end, which makes us sad. But you know what that means. Uh, it it's almost, oh god i'm sorry i'm yawning um <laughs> way to bring the excitement yeah. into the podcast dude <laughs> so, it so means thrilled. that we are diving headlong into june with universal monsters mm-hmm. yeah i'm so excited <sighs> i i've already been going i i've been going back through and watching all of them in chronological order mm-hmm. i'm about a third of the way through I, I think i've watched about eight of them so far i still have way too many to get through in the next week that's doable right i can watch 20 movies in a week I can totally make that happen you've done it before I'm, they're short yeah they're short film. they are very short yeah yeah I, th- I think that i got three in one night the other night <laughs> which prompted <laughs> eric to say god damn it what do you do with your time <laughs> the uh the i've i've been doing the same thing but i've only gotten through uh two mm-hmm. um but I did get through the longest one, which is the Spanish version of Dracula. It's so so it's well so on my way. Well, uh, I, I know that you're also trying to go chronological. Jump straight to Dracula's daughter, because if you only get one more watched, I want you to watch that one, especially immediately after Dracula. Uh, I think I might do since you're doing it chronological and I probably won't be able to. I think I'm going to do it monster by monster. Like I might just do it disc by disc. That makes now. sense. Uh, and do it that way instead and just do all the Draculas, all the Frankensteins, all the Wolfmans. Yeah. Do it that way. Do, do Dracula and then um, then Invisible Man. I think there's less of that one. Save Wolfman for last because first off, Wolfman is in so many of them that there's more of them. And also because he's in so many of them, most of the other ones that you watch on the other discs, you'll then uh, yeah, get some of them Wolfman are redundant. Like a lot yeah. of them have Frankenstein, like Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein is in like three of those sets. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it has Dracula and uh, Wolfman and Frankenstein and technically mm-hmm. invisible man, but that is neither here. Technically, nor there. Yeah. So uh, yeah, we are going to be diving headlong into universal monsters and we're going to start with our popcorn punch out, which um, we're doing the same thing that we've been doing where we have an audience survey out and the top five audience responses are automatically going to be in the list of uh, 20 possible options. Dan, Eric, and I are each going to pick uh, five ourselves. So there's going to be 20 possible options. Then we are going to be randomly drawing 16 uh, and pairing those up and uh, and going through a bracket, working down to the top three films that we're going to be discussing. There's only 31 films 
So not as many are going to be left out. Um, but still, I mean, that's that's a third of the movies. And mm-hmm. I've got a lot of thinking about which ones need Whoa. to be in there as options and which ones strategically mm-hmm. need to be in there so that they can very intentionally lose to make sure that other ones also <laughs> advance. Nice. But also, that's a risk because if I put in a movie that I do not want to talk about and that one advances, well, shit. So, well, uh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that would not be good. So I've got I've got some thinking to do and also some more movie watching to do. Uh, before we do that, the next episode that we're going to be recording, and if you are listening to this live, uh, there's still time enough to, to be a part of this. But if you're listening to this when it's finally posted, it I am definitely posting this episode after we record our next one because I'm behind in editing and posting. But tomorrow night, at the time of this recording, we're going to be recording our themed popcorn punch out where we're going to do the same thing. We have uh, 20 possible themes, five from the audience picks, five from each of us, and going to be pairing each of those up uh, randomly, starting with 16, working down to the top three. And these are going to be the themes that we're using for July, August, and November. So we're going to be uh, going to be going through our bracket to figure out what we're actually going to theme our months. So this is the first time that we've done this. It's going to be slightly different from the uh, movie ones because we're not going to be giving uh, synopses of the movies that we're talking about. It's probably going to be a little bit more of um, when we get to a theme, you know, whichever one of us picked it or whichever one of us added it to the initial list. You know, what was some of our reasoning? Why did we think that this would be a good theme, especially for these months? And, you know, maybe what some of the movies that could potentially uh, go into that theme would be. So there's still going to be some discussion. It's not just going to be, all right, are we talking about musicals or Australian films? The Australian films? All right, let's move on. It's not It's not just going to be that. We're, we're actually going to be diving into things a little bit. <laughs> and Eric is talking very loudly off <laughs> Seriously. And I'm going to wait till he has his headphones back on. And Eric definitely needs to learn how to mute himself when he steps away from the mic. Oh, did I? Did you hear me? <laughs> so that it doesn't pick up his random conversation with with his kids. Um, okay. so, so yeah, next episode is going to be our theme popcorn punch out for July, August, November, uh, and then our Universal Monsters popcorn punch out, and then obviously whatever three films we're going to be covering in Universal Monsters. Also during June, June 23rd through 28th is the Chattanooga Film Festival. Make sure to get your badges now. Even though it is a virtual film fest, they are limited in the number of badges that they can sell. So be sure to uh, to get your badge. Go to chatfilmfest.org and, uh, and give them your money to watch movies because that's the way that commerce works. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. Something like that. Uh, also go back and check out our uh, CFF preview that we did with Chat Film Fest uh, festival director Chris Dorch and uh, Wave 1 Films has been announced and we dive into that we also got a few scoops before Wave 2 announcements come out and at this at the time of this recording I don't know if Wave 2 announcements have come out yet I know that they're about to okay so yeah as the time at the time of this recording Wave 2 films have not yet been announced but hopefully that will be coming out soon so if you are just especially itching to figure out what you want to watch, go back and listen to that episode. Uh, there's there's a few scoops. Um, and definitely, definitely look forward to the Eric Pennykoff movie. All right. I think oh, that's yeah. all of the main announcements. Anything else that either of you can think of before we do our closing bit? No, I think that's it. You covered it. All right. Good job, Captain. Good, good job, Coffee. That's... I will not. I will not try to usurp your your authority at this point. 
<laughs> that's that's good because uh, Eric, y- you know what I would say if uh, if you tried to usurp and take over the hosting duties. Go ahead. You sound like a goddamn parody. <laughs> <laughs> I completely forgot. I forgot you had that one locked and loaded. I was I, you part well played. <laughs> I was, yeah, I was expecting go expecting parts. No. Uh, good. Uh, all right, Dan. Where do you want to shine your light onto people? Uh, you can find me over at HBO to Front Row on uh, Twitter and HBO to Front Row dot com. And Eric, where can people find you? Goddamn Fox! <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can find me uh, on Twitter at the Chimerican T H E C H I M E R I C A N. Um, I am also on Instagram at Chimerican Reviews and on Letterboxd at Eric J A Y. And that sound clip is going to mm-hmm. stay with us for a while. So I can't <laughs> believe we we didn't pull any uh, Willem Dafoe sound bites though. <laughs> so so uh, uh, I'll I'll work on updating the uh, the soundboard a bit and get some more relevant sound bites. And you can they should just be all lighthouse. They clips. well, but then I I also need some from the Wolfman in there. All right. That's that's true. That's fine. Okay, fine. Yeah, that's okay. I was I also need at least one from Dracula's daughter, because it might be one of my favorite lines in all of cinema. It's uh, let, let, let me pull it back up because when I saw it, so, so I was watching um, I was watching Dracula's daughter the other day, and it got to this line. Who's tapping? Eric, are you tapping? Nope, nope. Why don't I <laughs> Why just, uh, would you be doing that? Might be going insane. Uh, it, it got to this line, and I had to rewind it, take a picture, and send it to y'all when one of the characters says, look here, Jeffrey, just what new piece of asininity is this? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, asininity. Uh, so good. All right. Beautiful. Um, you can follow me slash the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Video Monster Pod. You can also follow me personally on Letterboxd at the Gargoyle. That's G A R G Y L E because it's a gargoyle wearing an Argyle sweater. And my personal Letterboxd is where I log all of the movies that I'm watching. The Video Monsters Letterboxd is where I will eventually, once I have time to do this, uh, be cataloging all of our episodes um, as as the reviews of those movies. And if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to go back and check out the rest of our A24 series. You know what? Keep going back. Just just keep going backwards and listening. Listen to all of the series that we've done. We've done a March Madness where we covered the films of Mads Mikkelsen. We did uh, Horror in Motion where we talked about horror movies all centered around transportation. We've done a series on our personal fears, which... Uh, if you listen to mine and Eric's personal fears within the context of, you know, current news, it would make them infinitely more tragic. So maybe skip those for now. Uh, come back to them in a few months when you've forgotten about how <coughs> shitty the world is. But go back and listen to all of our episodes. Uh, there's some great stuff in there. We've had plenty of wonderful guests that we cannot wait to have back. And we're going to be having some of them back for our September and October theme this year as we cover some of the films based off of the works of Stephen King. That was a very long tangent to say uh, go listen to us. Like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave those five-star reviews and positive ratings. Tell your friends. Share the love of video monsters and of movies. 
All right. Uh, oh, shit. One more thing. Join us in Discord. We record live every Tuesday night at 9, roughly, depending on if the kids actually cooperate at bedtime. But join us in Discord. You can chat along live in the uh, in the episode chat. You can watch us get into our silliness, and you can also just be a part of our movie conversations throughout the week. The link for that is posted in Facebook, probably a few of the other socials as well. Uh, it should also be posted in the episode description. So if you don't feel like going to any of the social medias right now, just scroll Scroll down on whatever device you are currently listening to this, unless you're driving, in which case, pay attention to the road. And then once you come to a stop, <laughs> scroll down, click on that link, join us in Discord, and uh, we, we, we have a good time here. All right. That's been it for this episode of Video Monsters. I'm Nathan. And I'm Eric. And I'm Dan. Uh, be sure to join us next time as we will debate what themes we're going to be covering in our themed popcorn punch out video rack attack bracket. I am. I'm so excited. And so terrified. I look, I'm very pleased with the audience voting so far. Oh yeah. The, the current, too, oh, yes. yeah. Uh, the, the current audience votes. Oh shit. What are those? They are one of them that I'm really excited about, but the current top five audience picks are, are and there's not much time left so these are probably going to be the five audience picks movies about watching movies not about making movies so this is going to be things like demons and uh scream 2 and um uh, uh, uh matinee so where the focus is on the experience of watching the movie not on the experience of making the movie musicals time loops space horror and australian films so those are the current five top audience picks and then the three of us will be going through and picking out which five we want to add and then arguing just incessantly over which theme we need to uh, to be covering so come back for that it's going to be lots of fun uh yeah it's gonna be great and i am i'm still nervous i (laughs) I can't wait to get into this. I have to. I have to talk about some of the engineering I did on this because I was very particular about which uh, which themes I went with for a very particular reason. Look, uh, those might or might not make it to the end, and mm-hmm. uh, and and for me, this is a limitation I'm putting on myself, not forcing it on the two of you. Yet we'll see how <laughs> things go. Uh, I'm restricting myself to where I am not going to reuse themes. Or even like reuse movies if uh, if there's overlap. I'm not going to reuse them in successive punch outs. So whatever yeah. themes I have added to the list for July, August, November, I am not going to add them to December, mm-hmm. January, February. Probably mm-hmm. not going to take any of the ones that any of you added either, just so that there is like no potential overlap. Now, now again, that's just a limitation I'm doing. Y'all don't have yeah. to, but uh, but yeah. It's gonna be some fun. All right, I'm not gonna make the promise, but I will. I will consider it. It's I well because otherwise you can just keep putting on the same theme of you know like if Peter Weller doesn't make it to the end, then it could just be like well I'm just gonna add Peter Weller again, and then eventually the two of you are just like all right fine stop putting Peter Weller in there. We'll talk about (laughs) Buckaroo Bonsai. Fine, and I I feel like that breaks the spirit of it. So that that's why personally I'm adding that limitation. Okay, that's fair. Is yeah, to just not keep putting my thumb on the scale. <laughs> but anywho, all right, we need to end things. We can stick around chatting for a little bit, but I'm gonna cut off the recording. Good night, everybody.
I'm not okay. The seagulls are coming after me. 